This podcast was produced on stolen Yagara and Turrbal land that was never ceded. Do you support an alteration to the constitution that establishes an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice? That's the question that's going to be asked of, of the Australian people um, next year. Um, so we've got today we've got uh, Lara Watson from the ACTU and we've got Thor Anderson uh, from the ETU. Uh, thank you for coming along today. Uh, this podcast is, is about um, a information sharing and a bit of a yarn about what this means uh, personally to yourself uh, and where it interacts with union values. Sounds good. Cool. Thanks for having us. So problems, I might start with a, a fairly um, simple question is, why is it important to you and your family? Can I please acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet, the Turbo and Jagra people. Um, I'm a Burragubba woman from Central West Queensland and an ETU member. Albanese coming out and committing to the Uluru Statement from the Heart in its entirety, it means so much more. So there's more, I guess, from my side, my mob's point of view. Uh, you know, that treaty process is a key um, element that will help community. That's how we feel anyway. So having that back on the table uh, just changes the ball game. So the voice enshrined in the constitution is basically a foundation that can never be taken away from us. And that's why the voice is so important. The Makarata Commission that will come afterwards will actually have that as the base and be able to deliver outcomes and better the lives of not only Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, but all Australians, because it's going to lift our most vulnerable up, therefore improve the lives of everyone here in Australia. Yeah, you're us, Thor Anderson here, ETU member, Kwandamuka man. I'd like to pay my respects to the Yuggera Turrbal people, traditional owners of the land we are here on today, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. This is really, for me, it's about consultation. You know, as trade unionists, we know how consultation works. And for too long, our people have been left out. There's been no consultation with us on the, um, the policies that affect, you know, our communities, our people, our people's lives every day. So for us, you know, this is a big change. It's something that it's definitely, you know, it's needed to happen. We look, at, we look back a generation to the 67, 67 referendum, you know, where we were counted, but, you know, you now, now we want to be heard here with this, so. Absolutely. When you, when you look at consultation, you know, our communities, our mob are the most consulted in this country, probably even in the world, really. What we need is meaningful consultation that listens to what we need. I mean, we know how to address these issues. We've been doing it for a long time. But what has happened is the government of the day imposes these policies and laws that oppress us and don't actually allow us to self-determine and to be able to have input into the solutions of the issues. So we just continue to go around in this cycle of entrenched poverty, you know, sicknesses, illnesses, without actually having access to health, education, housing, so if we actually had a seat at the table, when governments are having this conversation around the next incentive to close the gap, we'll have our mob at the table saying, well, no, that doesn't work. 
It hasn't worked for over 200 years. We're here now. This is how we've been dealing with it. This is culturally appropriate. You know, let us do it. Give us the training, frontline jobs like health and education, not these 12-week employment programs and white cards and stuff that don't really mean anything or have um, any kind of workplace conditions or wages tied to them like CDP and the Yellow Shirts program. You know, I guess that voice and shrine in the Constitution then opens up that line to government. They don't have to listen to us, but we can certainly yell if they're not listening um, and just asking them to have open hearts and open minds so that we can do the work we know needs to be done. Yeah, well, that's where the voice to Parliament is so important because it'll empower our voice. Exactly. You know, yes. there's been symbolic, I suppose you could say, consultation there, but we want real meaningful consultation so that we can have some say in the policies because, like you said, they haven't been working. They haven't been working for 200 years. So, you know, we've got an opportunity here to make history so we can, we can make them work, you know, make it right. Yeah. So. I think you're very diplomatic using <laughs> symbolic. Um, I would just say outright tokenistic. It was tokenism, yeah. Mm. Very diplomatic there. <laughs> I think you've touched on something that, that many members would understand in relation to their workplace and feeling disempowered in a workplace where sham consultations or entrenched positions by, and they'll go, you know, consultation was throwing a piece of paper on the table and saying, well, there you go, I've told you about it. Yeah. Now that's what you're gonna to have to face. And, and so I think our members will, will resonate, that'll resonate with them and feeling that, you know, um, this voice is essentially similar to a union voice in the workplace. Yeah, and the other part of that is the representation side of things. So like you're saying there where an employer might throw something out of you and people, you know, that's your consultation. If you haven't had a representative there that's empowered to fight for you, you're not going to get the result that you want. So. Yeah. And ETU has a pretty amazing history when it comes to our mob as well. So if you look at the um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander apprenticeship program that you guys done, but that's a big thing. I don't know how many years we've been asking for trades-based traineeships and apprenticeships so that we can really get some skills together that are needed, particularly in regional and remote communities where our mob live. Um, that's the sort of stuff that we're hoping will become normal mm. throughout workplaces, that there is that access. And employment is such an important, but genuine employment, as you spoke about before. Yes genuine opportunities and, and having that voice about how it works in those communities because there's going to be massive in the ETU space around renewable energy mm -hmm. uh, and about electrifying the grid to make it uh, you know user-friendly for renewables. So that work is going to be in regional and rural uh, Queensland and across uh, much of the country. So having a voice there is going to be really important. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I think, you know, I'm hoping that our big ticket winners, so I'm hoping that remote communities will be a priority through this process because of the work that we have done through First Nation Workers Alliance and we're out visiting remote communities. Like I know there's not a lot of jobs available in remote communities and that's why, you know, people are getting put onto employment programs, but not really. 
like when you visit a remote community and you look around, um, there's definitely employment opportunities there. So we had fly-in, fly-out workers that were operating municipal services like picking up rubbish. We had fly-in, fly-out workers that were doing new builds and extensions. There's an opportunity for someone to do an apprenticeship, but they're not. Um, you know, things we take for granted, I look at my parents, like you can actually get someone to come out and clean and take her to her appointments and stuff like that. Well, we've got mob doing that in community on a voluntary basis. Like that, that should be a paid job. Like there is the capacity um, for jobs, for investment into jobs in remote and regional communities. We just need governments to um, stand up and say, all right, let's just do it. And I think a voice and shrine in the constitution and having that direct line, they might actually hear when there's more than one voice yeah. asking or, or her at the table. Yeah. Well, one of the initiatives that the ETU did, I think about eight years ago or 10, might have been 10 years ago, was to have an Indigenous ex-officio member on our executive. So that was about bringing forward those issues and understanding what was occurring uh, for people out there in the communities. And part of the Not For Sale campaign was yeah. about ensuring that uh, communities weren't left behind when the National and Liberal National Party came in and said, we're going to shut down these remote diesel powered. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Remember right. there was about 35, I think, across um, regional and remote Queensland that were going to be shut down. So it was about, they didn't care. So having that voice through Tommy Sebastio and others gave the ETU an understanding of what that would mean yeah, for exactly. those regional communities. And that had a direct impact on our campaign yeah. and, and Lara um, discussing that with community. So, I mean, those are the practical steps. Yeah. Um, and so a voice will be um, uh, obviously much further. With what we are seeing and what we are hearing, you know, Australia's ready for this. They're tired of the inequity of First Nations people. You know, even throughout the union movement, we're tired of why, why are you putting our mob and employment programs, you know, when they've got skills and capacity to be in a job, why are our jobs tied to funding? So when that funding stops, we lose our jobs. Why is there a 33% difference between Indigenous and non-Indigenous average wages? Like there are some really big gaps when it comes to First Nations people and we don't get much air time on the good stuff. So the Libs are certainly gonna take this as an issue that they will get air time. Wait for Pauline Hanson to jump in there too. And Mundine and Pro they'll all get in there. Those who light their tickets in the wind while on media, they'll be j jumping in and opposing it. But at the end of the day, this is something that will definitely set up a foundation that will never shift unless it's by the Australian people that will allow First Nations people in this country to be the architects of their own life and have input into those laws and policies that are made for them. That's it. Not on all the other policies and laws that government make. We just want to seat at the table when it comes to policies and laws that are made for us. The saying, I love this saying, um, nothing, nothing about us without us. Yeah. So I know that 
there will be um, people that are quite violent in this space. So I think for members who do, non-Indigenous members and people that want to be a part of this campaign, is just to be mindful of the situation. Like, is it someone that's quite aggressive? Walk away. If you know that they're a racist, you're never going to get them over the line walk away like do not put yourself in harm's way at all um, but on occasions we are going to need the broader community to step up and be a bit of a shield for first nations mob because we're the ones that are going to cop it the worst um, but also just call out racism like just call it out just say that's not good enough you know that's not right yeah definitely just call out the bullshit you know when you hear it in the workplace it's going to come up. We know it comes up. It's come up in the past. So, you know, like Lara says, you know, pick the situation, you know, don't put yourself in danger. But if you know that it's wrong, yeah, call it out for sure. And I think, and I think one of the things that, that was really important about the anti-racism video that we did a few years ago was about calling that out, standing up and, and, and calling out the myths. Because, you know, the, the myths around, around um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are out there. They've been out there for years. Um, and the, the as much as the facts are never going to a stupid person never listens to facts anyway. True. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's right, and that's where we need to you know get the good the right information out to our members. So when this stuff does come up, I call out and say, hey, no, that's not that's not the case at all. Yeah. You know, this is how it is, and then that's how the word gets out. People take that home. They talk to their families. They talk to their mates. They might be down the pub comes up there, no, no, that's not right, mate. This is how it actually is. But what can ETU members do to enable us to walk with you? Because this is not about us telling you or even saying, well, yeah, we support you. We should automatically support you and be there with you to help you get this across the line. I think that's the key. I think, well, I know um, one of the issues I've had with union members, like non-Indigenous union members asking, you know, how, how can we help? How can we be involved? How can we be a good ally? Is there's, there's two things I say to them. One, get over your fear of offending. Um, because if you're there with sincerity, we're not going to be offended. The second thing is, the Ulluri Statement from the Heart is an invitation to Australia to walk with First Nations people. So you've already been given the invitation to come into this space and to help us win a voice and shrine the Constitution. So no excuses. You want to be here? Great. Um, the Through the ACTU, so next year there will be a campaign that's rolled out quite aggressively from the First Nation Workers Alliance. So there'll be plenty of events and activities planned that unions will know, um, will have calendared. There'll be all sorts of stuff happening. But also, um, not just our campaign. So we've based the union campaign on the community campaign because there is a lot of confusion. So this way we keep the same messaging constant regardless of who's campaigning in the space. Um, plenty of stuff out there. If people are really geared up, you know, jump on websites, send letters to ministers, download PDFs, letterbox your street. There's heaps of stuff do you, you could block? do. Do your block? That's right. That went well in not for sale. Like, do your block. Yeah, that's great. Because, um, yeah, we had discussions here earlier in the year about a campaign at the ETU, what we do. Um, obviously, we're 
part of the QCU committee there as well. And we're kind of like, oh, we'll see what see what's going to come. And obviously, um, you guys are developing an awesome campaign there, um, which we're going to bring back and we're going to ETUize it. And, Absolutely. That's um, what it's designed for, yeah. for you guys to tweak. Yeah, like, I think for our members, like, this is going to be a historic moment. You know, we're all going together with this. We're walking together. You want to be a part of it. You know, like how good is it going to be when it gets up and you can say that you were part of it, you campaigned. 67, we, I keep going back to it, but there was a 90% vote there and it's yeah. the single most unifying democratic moment in this country and it was on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander affairs. Yeah. Like, you know, recognising us as people, you know, like... If we do that again, imagine what does that say about our country? Like, let's be proud, let's move forward. That's you know, right. like we all want to celebrate how good this country is, and that yeah. means don't leave anyone behind. We're all here together. I think that it could be a really unifying moment. Oh, um, well, it, it could. Be. Be, it, it could actually be. finally be a road on to reconciliation. I think. Yeah, I think it's been a long time, hasn't it? Yeah. It's been a long time coming. I mean, the the voice itself was was touted 20, yeah. 20 years ago, thirty years ago, even before that, nineteen thirties, yeah. where they talked about having a an indigenous voice. And a lot of people don't actually know the history of Australia Day and why we don't participate and why we feel excluded and why we call it Invasion Day. So I think what this referendum is bringing is the capacity to have those conversations with people that would normally never have asked the question or normally would not have seeked out any truth you know so be able to have those conversations with people and have them go oh I didn't think of it like that and then they go away and they do think about it and they get up to speed a bit more and education I remember I remember Simo I remember Simo yeah. saying to me I used to be the biggest racist out there but he got himself educated he learned about the issues that our mob face he learned about the inequities within education health housing and become one of our biggest allies in the movement so that's the power of a conversation and power of education isn't it and it's exciting i think too if you've got um your non-Indigenous members campaigning in this space, just to be mindful mindful also that not all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people support it, but that's okay. Um, it's not that they don't want good outcomes for their community, but if you have a look at the history of this country, there's a lot of scepticism. Like You can't believe in government because it's been consecutive governments over and over and over again that have implemented these oppressive policies and laws. Like look at the Northern Territory intervention, CDP, like you can just rattle them off your head. Um, so we don't want non-Indigenous union members getting into altercations with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that don't support it. So just know that that's okay and you can choose to either deep listen to that person on why they're not supporting it um, and just move on. You can let me know. like. We've got plenty of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander union members on the ground through FNWA, other unions, that we can have those conversations with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, but yeah, just we have the right to change our mind. We have the right to support it or not support it. You know, for a lot of us, we want to see the action and the outcomes. 
um, and what that will mean. But kind of the voice is a bit of a blind dive in the water, but we need to have that in place so we can do the work that needs to be done. Otherwise, we'll just get ripped out from underneath us again. Yeah. Mm. Oh, 100% right, yeah. because there has been, there's been successive failures, hasn't there? And mm. it, it hasn't necessarily been by people on the ground because there's been a lot of people doing a lot of good work in everywhere, you know, mm. in the country, in the communities and that. But for whatever reasons, these policies haven't worked out and here we are now, so. Yeah. Um, Jenny Macklin. Okay. So, I remember this was... Um, after the win, I think Gillard was Prime Minister and I had a conversation with Jenny. No, I had a conversation with a community mob in Alice Springs and they um, didn't feel like they needed new houses and they wanted the funding that had been allocated by Jenny to build a new houses to put it into a community... Um, gathering centre that could address things like alcoholism and teach young girls, you know, how to cook and stuff like this really kind of community-driven centre. Um, and government said, no, the money's been earmarked for houses, so houses are what you're going to get. But a voice enshrined in the Constitution will have those mob at the table saying... We don't need houses, we need this. Or, you know, we're tired of living in houses that are made from asbestos. We need houses. Or we need some way of getting fresh water to our community because we have none. Like, these are... No, yeah, I think the, um, the government's really got to put trust in our mob that, you know, that we can do what we say we're going to do. And look, there's plenty of examples around the in this country where we can look after our own affairs and do it well. Yes. So, you know, that's where the Uluru Statement, it's an invitation to yes. Australian people, you know, work with us, the government work with us and look what we can achieve, you know. And we have never been given that. No. Never been given that opportunity. We are the only country in the world that still doesn't have a treaty or an agreement process with its government around First Nations. So if you look at... Um, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander movement in this country and our value system is in line with trade unions. So trade unions have a value system around equality, justice and fairness. There are three key things and they are the three things we are asking for in this country as well. Um, not only that, it's because the most vulnerable union members in this country are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people too. So there is a big membership out there and we also have, like, we've got to look, the trade union movement is the largest movement in this country. We have access to over 2 million members, their families and their communities, and we can organise. Oh, my God. Like, our capacity to organise and turn our boots on concrete and people out in polling booths and on election day and all this sort of stuff... This is what the trade union movement can deliver to this campaign and we can do it well. So I think walking side by side First Nations people and their allies with the trade union movement, sure thing, eh? Like, yeah. we, we, we can, as a movement alone, can deliver an outcome for First Nations people when it comes to voting yes. Um,
But we want more than the union movement. We need people out on the ground talking to but the I think if you've, 15 million others we need to vote yes. I think you've hit, hit on it there, you know, like from a, a union perspective, it is about dignity, respect, mm -hmm. um, but also about that, that, uh, that basic right to be consulted about things that impact on you. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> that's what we fight, that's what union movement fight for every day is to have that voice in the workplace, isn't exactly. it? A collective voice in the workplace. Yeah. And that's what you guys are seeking from the Australian people. And, and Anthony Albanese um, said that it was a, calls the voice, a modest and gracious request by First Nations people. That's a, um, I mean, that's a, a nice way of putting what he's, you've spoke about the invitation that the Uluru Statement from the Heart is. So this is now part of that request about the first step. Absolutely, but I still, um give credit to Albanese himself, you know, a voice enshrined in the constitution alone won't deliver the outcomes that we need, but we need that foundation in place before we can even think about, you know, the work that we need to do. So having him commit to the entirety of, you know, not just the voice, but treaty and truth through Makarata Commission has just kind of sort of set the tone up here as opposed to down here. And it gives more variety for us to say, well, yes, I need that. You know, I didn't support the voice initially um, when people were campaigning. Thomas and I had a few heated debates <laughs> that were quite interesting. But the way I looked at it was you've got this statement that had three clear outcomes or three clear asks but the report was only asking for one, and that was the voice. And I'm like, but what's happened to treaty and truth? Like there's this whole other area that we need to work in that they all work side by side, that need each other for us to deliver outcomes. So when I knew that Albanese was gonna say, definitely come out if we win the election, it's in its entirety. I just went, now that's something I can campaign for because I know at the end of the day, all three will deliver outcomes and better the lives of not just First Nations, but all Australians in this country. Yeah, it was huge that he came out in full support of it. You know, other previous government had an opportunity to do it. You know, this has been in process for a while now, it's not new. And then the truth telling, you know, we talk about like history has been written by the victor. Yes. We, are, we only talk about 200 years of history that we've got in this country at the moment, but no one talks about what was here prior. Like, we know we've been here tens of thousands of years. 60,000, I think. Yeah. And, you know, people of this country, they want to learn about that history. They want to know, you know, how we lived for so long, how we, we got through everything that went on, you know. Yeah. Civilised society. And me not being from Australia originally, yeah. um, actually having the opportunity to learn about the oldest living culture in the world is a privilege and an honour. Yeah. And for you to share that, your journey and your history with us, yeah. we should be taking that on as a, as a privilege and an honour. I'd get people, like, 
Um, whenever we had a family do, Shania would bring a friend so that they could see, you know, we meet up just like all other mob, but we dance and we sing and we story tell. And I would often get the parents ring me up and say, thank you. We just have no, there's nowhere to take our kids to learn about this. Yep. You know, we, where do we go to learn about Aboriginal culture and what protocols are and what connections like and what I need to know, you know, living on country that's, there is nowhere. And that needs to be some of the work that comes out of a voice. Yeah, and that's what will we'll hopefully will change part of the education system so that people learn about it, people understand it, and then, you know, yeah. our whole society is going to be a better place for it. Can you imagine, like in New Zealand, every child in this country goes to school and learns about the community, like the Aboriginal community and customs on that land and the language of that people, like... Mm. That is just going to be amazing. Absolutely. It's, uh, what a cultural experience to be able to do that. Well, it enhances everything. It, yeah. it, um, it grows. It, it means that our country is evolving and living and, and going forward. Yes. And learning from, the, from everybody within it. Oh, and something that we can all be proud of, you know. I yeah. think that's just, you know, it's unified, isn't it? It's, yeah. yeah. Um, but... Back to like trade unions, we've got a long proud history of supporting social justice issues. This is not a it's not a new one for us. So this is just continuing part of the fight, part of the struggle. You know, obviously we care a lot about workers' rights, and but we also care about what's going on in our community. So that's why we're yeah. going to make it happen. I think that's key. Yeah. I've got to say, a lot of people have been asking me yeah. what's happening, what's happening, and I always direct them to the, the website, the Uluru yes. Statement website. There's yes, lots of info and that's there. what we do too. Some good, there's some good videos. It so. gets a bit confusing because there are two um, websites yep. that are doing good work. Uh, but, so we do have some material ready to go that's up on the FNWA member porthole. But you can only access that if you're an FNWA member currently. I've got the email about that, yes. Yeah. Um, so that, that's happening now, but, you know, FNWA members pay dues and this is, they get material early so they can work some stuff out. But um, we will definitely have like a campaign kit that will be sent to affiliates of the ACTU. The actual um, referendum plan is being tabled at February executive and for endorsement. So once we get that sign off, it's just boots on the ground. Yeah. yeah. And then the week, that same week, the community campaigns, they're doing a big kind of campaign lab in Darwin just to kind of finalize all of us that are working in the same space to make sure that message is consistent and materials are consistent. So as soon as that's happening, so that's all happened in the first week of February. So pretty much the second week of February, it'll be a rollout of the major community campaign and major um, FNWA campaign. But the way the plan has been designed is so Affiliates can take that plan and tweak it to fit their membership. Yeah. Um, or where we've got smaller unions that don't really have capacity to resource, you know, big campaigns like this, 
um, they can jump on board with FNWA and the activities that we will organise in conjunction with the community campaign. So there'll be something for everyone there. But, you know, get fact sheets now and have these conversations with families over the Christmas break. Like, if this is something that you want to see, a, you know, a better Australia for everyone, like, start asking questions. So with what you don't know, you can find out. Like, get on the FNWA um, website or ring me up. ETU members, share my details. I don't care. Give me a buzz. Happy to answer those hard questions or to direct you. Yeah, yeah, like that. That's what I'm there for. So we need our members on the ground, um, and this is going to be, I, I think, once in a generation. Like I know we've still got a couple of people that have been around from the '67 yeah. referendum, um, but this really is. A history-making yeah, event and get involved because this is going to be an amazing story that you can tell your grandkids and your great-grandkids. I think it shows what is possible and for people not to just sit on the fence with this one. If you don't have the information or you don't know because the rider coming out with if you don't know vote no, please don't do that. No, if you don't know, ask. Ask. That's ask. right. If you yeah. don't know, ask. There'll be plenty of people around that you can ask. This podcast is produced by the Electoral Trades Union, Queensland and Northern Territory Branch. 